welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week's episode topic is our first to be selected by our Patreon subscribers. We decided we should do a Sherlock Holmes one because we both love Sherlock Holmes and so does virtually everyone to some extent. Um, so we had a wee listener poll and by a very wide margin, our Patreon subscribers told us that we must talk about elementary. It's kind of difficult to pick because it's one of these long procedural crime dramas with like 20 episodes per season but we decided on what I think most elementary fans will agree is the obvious choice which is the finale of season one um, which is about Irene Adler and uh, Moriarty and stars Natalie Dormer and uh, Morgan is good to give us a quick plot summary obviously there'll be spoilers but you know it's aired in 2013 so suck it up (laughs) yes so the basic pitch of this and I think I watched a couple episodes when this aired at the sort of beginning of the season but Otherwise, I have not seen the show, so I was basically coming to this as a standalone experience. But Sherlock Holmes' old girlfriend, Irene Adler, had been killed a couple years before, and that sent him into a sort of crisis, which sets up the show. And he finds out that actually she had not been killed, but had been captured by his nemesis, Moriarty. And then the episode is about them trying to find this evil man, Of course, it turns out that Natalie Dormer, who plays Irene Adler, is in fact Moriarty, a criminal mastermind. And then there are lots of emotional, emotional ups and downs and intense moments and et cetera, et cetera. I knew the twist, which was fine going in because I remember everyone talking about this at the time and Tumblr getting very excited because everyone loves Natalie Dormer and rightly so. She's so good. She's so good, Morgan. Yes. She was definitely the best thing about this episode. It's sort of two episodes combined, so it's yeah. an hour and a half long. It definitely went more in-depth than just a one-off episode of a crime show would go, which was fun, having not really watched the show. And she was just fantastic. I emailed you as I was watching it because... I So I knew the twist, but she does an American accent for the first half. And I was like, God, her accent is just terrible because it really was bad. And then she switches to her actual English accent once you the reveal happens. And I was like, oh, maybe she can't do an English or American accent anyway. But it doesn't matter that it's bad because now there's an explanation for it in the show. And even that was sort of made sense. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> it was just really satisfying. She was really enjoyable to watch it sort of played into all her strengths which is the sort of like sexy femme fatale thing that she does really well (laughs) which not everyone can do and like good for you for having that skill i mean that's most of the roles i've seen her in she's doing some variation on that but not in a way that's boring or reductive like nail gaze yeah she's just really fun to watch i'm trying to think of what i've seen her i i watched game of thrones for a while and don't anymore but i saw her on that for I mean, did you watch the Tudors? Because I feel like that's the role that she kind of came out in, but I didn't see that. No, but she was so fun on Game of Thrones, a show that I had extremely mixed feelings about. Well, um, you saw her make out with Captain America for like two seconds. I was going to (laughs) say, yes. (laughs) There were five seconds on Captain, Captain America. But of course, what's interesting about her in this is that Irene Adler and Moriarty was sort of two most famous side characters in the Sherlock Holmes canon and they combine them into the same person and then they Moriarty a woman and that sort of upends a lot of the I have so many opinions ways of telling the story <laughs> yeah so why don't you share some of them so I think Morgan you've read 
a lot of the short stories, right? Yeah, a fair yeah. number. Yeah. I haven't read the Moriarty ones, I don't think. I think I have read the Iron okay. Nebler one. So I am a lifelong Sherlock Holmes short story fan. I think the books, like the novels are just too long. It's just like overstuffed, but um. Huge fan of the short stories, read them many times. Moriarty is not that interesting. Like, he's really not, he's not like, there's no point in giving Holmes a nemesis except for the specific framework of giving him the death and the emotional conflict with what's it like. As a villain, Moriarty is just like, okay, he's really smart, big deal. But Irene Adler is great, and she's literally only in one short story, and she looms so large over all of the adaptations, and partly it's because, like, there's no women in any of these things, so it's like, well, she's the woman. But also she's just like, she has like a really interesting role, which they executed really well in this show and completely fucked up in Sherlock. I mean, I'm sure that listeners, probably a lot of you know that we are not huge Sherlock fans. Like season one had some good points, like, you know, a couple of good episodes out of the three and it did go catastrophically downhill by the end of the run. But the thing they did with Irene Adler was really weird because the concept of the original Victorian story is that she's this sort of free-spirited kind of adventurer type who, you know, she has affairs out of wedlock and she's very intelligent and independent. And the end of the story is her outwitting Holmes. And she just like fucks off to go and live her own life. So it's kind of like you get the impression that this is an episode in her life where Holmes is a side character and then he kind of puts her portrait in his drawer and is just like the one woman I'll ever respect because he's you know a bit of a Victorian (laughs) respectful towards women but also very condescending Victorian misogynist and a lot of interpretations are just like well it just means he fancies her then doesn't it it's like well that's a very reductive interpretation you heteronormative idiots but in uh, Sherlock they go one extra step further they make her a kind of high-end like sex worker dominatrix kind of situation She's a lesbian, but like the one man she'll ever be attracted to is Holmes. And while <laughs> while Stephen Moffat is kind of, he really thinks that he's doing something fun and modern with this, but it's literally, the woman looks like the same kind of brunette controlling Victorian like sexy matron he's put in like three different things now. So he's clearly got a very specific idea of what he's after, but like she's naked for like half of it. Cause like, oh, that's meant to like really jar Sherlock out of his usual mindset or something like whatever. And it's just, it's very sexist, but also just in terms of the way they reinterpreted it, it is less interesting than the original because the episode ends with, rather than it being like, oh, she's outwitted him, it ends with him going to like save her from terrorist assassins or something. There's a lot of errors, a lot of thematic errors there. Whereas in this one, when we're initially introduced to her, it's like, oh, she's like the fridged girlfriend. And then they completely subvert that by making her Moriarty so she still has the intelligence of Irene Adler and they've also made Moriarty into a way more interesting character than like he slash she was in the original so it's like well done all round for an otherwise you know fairly run-of-the-mill procedural crime drama. <laughs> yeah well the reason I gave up on it originally after maybe three episodes or something I mean I did not last long was that this is not the type of show that tends to hold my interest and I like crime stuff actually quite a bit. A really good British crime show that lasts like six episodes and is one story it's like great like happy valley highly recommend people who like crime stuff so satisfying so like procedural dramas in general it's just like it's just not something i can go for as a teenager i watched a lot of house 
And once you've watched House as like a formative part of your TV watching experience, it's so easy to see the structure they use for each one of these episodes because it's like exactly the same that I did actually watch Elementary when it aired for a couple of seasons, but I was just like, you know, enough is enough, not because it's bad, but just because, you know, it's so repetitive and I kind of prefer something that has like a more complicated storyline and that sort of thing. Well, we both watched The Good Wife. Which is like the perfect blend. Right, because they would have stories every week, most of the time. Sometimes they'd last for a couple of weeks. But there were such strong sort of overarching character stories throughout the season that it those were kind of dominating the actual plot. And then the stuff that was happening week to week grounded the show in terms of in a structural sense. Yeah. But that and it has all these the kind point. of interesting stylistic quirks. Yes. And they would have people, characters from those cases would reappear very frequently, so you would be familiar with them, and they were just, like, very entertaining and funny and well done. So that was kind of the exception in my, like, adult viewing life, I would say. I also watched House as a teenager for a few years and was very into it, and then was like, this is the same. (laughs) (laughs) This is not interesting anymore. So something like Elementary, I remember thinking, like, this is fine. I'm bored. I'm going to stop. And I found myself thinking watching this, which I did enjoy quite a bit, like, it's too bad that for my viewing purposes, like, clearly a lot of people like the show a lot because it won our poll by a substantial margin. But in terms of the stuff that I like, I was like, oh, it's kind of too bad that it wasn't a more, quote, prestige, unquote, type show that did more of specifically what I'm watching now because I would definitely have been, like, quite into it and watched it because it was quite And the cast are so good. I mean, obviously yes. the supporting cast very much like Law and Order or whatever, but um, yeah. Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu are so great. <laughs> I just in general love both of them as actors and I think he is really good in this role doing something that's both similar to Many, many other Sherlock Holmes-inspired dramas. (laughs) Yes, it's a type. But he also seems like an individual person, which I think is impressive. I also really like his appearance. Um, Um, It's quite hard to pinpoint, but I just feel like, considering the vast number of TV shows that are about an eccentric 30-slash-40-something white guy solving crimes, and he is not wearing particularly outlandish outfits... There is something about Johnny Lee Miller's physicality that makes him immediately stand out. He just looks different and very specific. And I just really, I don't know, he's got kind of like um like a kind of vulnerable body language thing going on that I really enjoy. His gestures also are very specific. And he is, yeah, he's just a very good actor. I remember seeing him in um, Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch, the yeah. National Theatre Life. Um, but I saw both versions. I so they, would really they like to off. see both. <laughs> I know it's on DVD. Yeah, I should they probably sw- get it. It was really interesting. So they switched off playing Frankenstein and the Creature. And I saw them back to back. So I it was like a long day of viewing Frankenstein. And um, I think people have differing opinions on this. But I strongly felt that Cumberbatch was better as the Creature. And Johnny Lee Miller was better as Frankenstein. Which was kind of interesting, because obviously the creature is the more flashy role. And Benedict Cumberbatch, who is an actor who aggravates me 
often. Because virtually every was... role he chooses is not a role he should be doing, which I believe we've discussed exactly. before. However, he should be doing yes. character roles and not some fucking blando leading man like, oh, I've got a bit of an eccentric trouble, like, fuck off. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is relevant, though, because Frank, the, the creature in Frankenstein is a like totally weird role, but it's not the same as his standard thing, which is very similar to Frankenstein, actually. And he was so great as the creature. It was just like, it's very sort of physical acting and just like weird stuff. And he was quite captivating. Whereas Johnny Lee Miller made the Frankenstein role, which was not that interesting, actually, in the adaptation that they had written really compelling and fascinating that was i think not quite as high a degree of difficulty as the creature but also quite hard in a very different way and i was just like really impressed by him and um i think that this role is this similar kind of thing in that you have to keep people interested while doing something that is familiar in a way over a long period of time. And obviously we were just watching a couple episodes of this, but I got the sense that he probably was compelling for all that long time. And I just, I like him as an actor a lot. Come a long way since the 1995 movie Hackers, which is very enjoyable, <laughs> uh, in which he yells out the catchphrase, hack the planet, co-starring Angelina Jolie. I see my reference is spotting, <laughs> which is... Similar period, but but not quite the same. The hair is really what I remember from that performance. Anyway, uh, not so much the actual acting. But he also is playing, which is, I think, similar to other Sherlock Holmes adaptations, but different from Sherlock, which is the predominating one recently, playing Sherlock as this sort of spectrum-y, you know, eccentric person, but also appealing and kind of like a nice man. Whereas Ben and Cumberbatch was playing huge asshole. And I was like, well, this is kind of a nice change. Like, this is, this is pleasant. I appreciate that this is not just, like, everyone's a dick. <laughs> Which, I mean, I know. feel like even though we were, like, obviously we're not kind of 100% geared towards these long-running procedural crime dramas, the one thing this show absolutely have has in its benefit, kind of above all the other Holmes adaptations, is that it does long-term character development. Like, I actually did watch it for several seasons. And I think one of the things that people remarked upon quite a lot, especially compared to Sherlock, is that it is actually a whole show that's about self-improvement, which kind of goes against the whole ethos of all of these, you know, Holmes-inspired shows, many of which are now more, like, house-inspired. And there was just, like, so many... There's so many of these shows and it's just like there's a the protagonist is either very socially awkward or a not particularly well depicted concept of autism or they're just like huge assholes or some combination of those three. And in elementary, you know, the initial concept is that Watson is a former surgeon who gets a job as a sober companion and she's hired by Sherlock's dad to kind of look after him while he's recovering from addiction. So you already have this concept where it's like they've got an interesting twist on just like, oh, they've got to be flatmates, which like wouldn't make so much sense for two 30-something professionals. But you just have this Watson who has just thought a lot more about the characterization than you see in quite a lot of adaptations. Like Sherlock, the TV show, actually did 
think about how to interpret Watson in quite an interesting way because they're like, oh, he's an adrenaline junkie. And that does actually make sense in a really kind of interesting way. My favourite Watson recently is actually Jude Law. Perfectly cast. Love <laughs> wonderful, him. wonderful. If only <laughs> those films were just a bit better. I think the first one actually is really, yeah. really good. And the second one is a piece of shit. So they kind of, you know. Like, or the first one is fun in its own right. But what I would like to see is Jude Law's Watson transposed into a completely straightforward Victorian. Because, like, all, like you know, you look at the Jeremy yes. Brett adaptations, which are the 90s, 80s show, which sadly lost out in her poll, which is most kind of old school Sherlock Holmes fans kind of favourite adaptation because it's very close to the stories. And Jeremy Brett is like an incredibly perfect Holmes. Like no one has ever surpassed him in terms of his performance. But they had two Watsons through that show's run and they're like, fine. And one of them's a bit buffoonish, which is kind of the trope that is often associated with Watson. But in the stories, he really is this quite like sexy figure, you know? (laughs) You could have him be the Jude Law. But what they did with Elementary is they, you know, they were like, yes, she's a mature person who's going to be taking care of Holmes and kind of helping him learn how to be a more sensible adult. But they managed to do that in a non-sexist way, which is like practically unheard of because usually it's just like this kind of shitty babysitter role. And I remember that was exactly what I expected this show to be when it was first announced. Because I remember however old I was, like probably still in college, writing a like snooty little live journal post being like, obviously this can't be as good as Sherlock because they're just going to have this woman be like his nursemaid. Um, so like now I look back on that and be like, it's still already experience and like not actually in using your own internalized misogyny to whatever, you know. Actually, obviously, Lucy Liu is amazing. This is a role where you need someone who you know, it's like a cut above just being like, oh, cop actor number three, because it is quite a kind of emotionally deep role. It has to be someone who's tough and cool. And she is all of those things. I did feel this was the disadvantage of just watching a couple episodes or one extended episode, because she doesn't have that much to do really in this, because it's all about like his demons coming back to haunt him and et cetera, et cetera. And she's sort of in the background for most of this one. She has a couple sort of good scenes. And she's obviously meant to be the sort of contrasting female character to Irene slash Moriarty. I mean, most episodes are like a solid 50-50 split. Like, it's definitely not kind of like, oh, she's the assistant in terms of screen time. Yes. Yeah, I know. And I mean, I did watch a couple, so I remember that. But that was the one thing I felt was missing from the just watching experience of this and I could tell why they were doing it but I was sort of like oh but Lucy Liu is so great <laughs> I want to she see more of her so cool. like her costumes like this is one of those characters where so many people just remark on her outfits partly because she has a very unrealistically huge wardrobe I think the only explanation is that she must be part of one of those like mail order programs where she is plugged in all of her like, <laughs> she's got a very specific dress sense hardly ever doubles up outfits she's always wearing like amazing shoes because she has to wear heels to in order to like fit into the frame with johnny lee miller <laughs> um and yeah just so much great kind of neutral tone knitwear yes i mean even i have seen people remarking upon this and i'm not in the sort of internet space where people are talking about elementary very often but they also i mean the building in which they reside is comical it is owned by Sherlock's millionaire father. But it's not even that. It's that this p- takes place in New York City, and the interior of that building is just 
incomprehensible as a real estate object in New York City. Like, every time they showed an interior, and I remember thinking this at the time also, I was just like, what is this? What is this space? Where are you living? Like, it is absolutely what is hilarious. The problem? And of course, like, there aren't that kind of, like, huge interior doesn't exist. Like, they just, the built buildings in New York just don't look like that on the inside. It's Aren't there, like, rich person walk-ups where they have, like, a big living room where they entertain guests? They don't look like that. Literally no one. I mean, there are some big houses once you get to, like, certain outside parts of Brooklyn, but they would have windows. <laughs> and, and that's not where they're living, because you can see the skyline from the roof. Like, it's just, it is... I don't want to say literally a real estate possibility because what do I know? Maybe this could exist somewhere, but it's so obviously they just want them to have a like cool big house with some scuffed paint on the walls. That is, I mean, it's comical. And of course, every television show that takes place in New York, they live in ridiculous apartments. This is a tried and true TV trip, but this is probably the most egregious one that I have ever seen in anything ever in a way that was very entertaining to me. I was just like, no, <laughs> this is not real. There was also one exterior London shot that really abused me. Cause I was like, that's Brooklyn. That's not London. <laughs> but this is a, also a classic sort of procedural I mean, thing. Nothing, like the good wife. nothing will ever be as bad as Iron Fist. I can't remember if I showed you the screen grabs I made of Iron Fist when I was forced no, to, I don't had to so. review that show. But um, So Iron Fist is another one of these shows that's like a set in New York um, and you know there's a lot of kind of very large apartments. That's not the problem. The problem is when they go to they go to a secondary location in Asia. I think maybe China, but Iron Fist's kind of internal geography it's not not great but they they take like this plane journey and then they land the plane and i'm like for a moment i was literally like is this a fake out where he thinks he's gone to china but he's actually gone to brooklyn because oh they like clearly are like they show up in like the dockyards or something somewhere like it is definitely what like the hudson river right and then there's a point where they yeah. go under a bridge and i'm like is that, is that the Brooklyn Bridge in the background? Like, it's just like, it's not. Like, it's because they make a big deal of how, like, all of the Marvel Netflix shows are legitimately filmed in New York, which is why Lucy Liu, incidentally, is directing at least one episode of uh, Luke Cage this year. But that means that they decided to just film China in New York, and it, like, doesn't, it, it does not look like anything other than just North America. It's very, and it's like, you could have just oh, not had no. this scene. You could have had it in the interior or something. Like, just. Sorry for that, but like Iron Fist was truly a painful experience we had to watch. Just, yeah. Well, this is the problem with these TV shows that feel that they must do this. You don't have to just just shoot inside a room. It's fine. Which is the sort of like more more mainstream television thing, which is fine. It's not what I normally, and it did take me back to watching The Good Wife. Which was set in Chicago and filmed in New York, and it very is famous. Often. And also, it's like, like oh. the entire cast of The Good Wife is like famous New York actors because they're all like, "What's a good job yes. that I can get that's not Law and Order?" And it's like all these Broadway actors like <laughs> swanning into The Good Wife for a two episode arc. And it's like, "Thank you, darling. I will return in two <laughs> Yes. Oh, very entertaining. That's actually a crossover I would love to see. Elementary 
And I guess now it would be the good fight, the good wife spinoff, which is also very good. But you know, like they're exactly the kind of glamorous, eccentric figures they can come and they can like bring in. And like because the good wife has a more creative mindset, they would definitely allow Johnny Lee Mailer and Lucy Liu to do some weirder shit, and it would be great. Yes. I feel like we should compare this or talk more about other Holmes adaptations, but I do want to say briefly first, this is really not related to anything, but I did see Johnny Lee Miller on the street once, which was notable because I never see celebrities anywhere, but I was coming out of a Mark Strong theater production, and he is indeed very tall, which often when you see actors, they are not actually that tall in real life, but he was an extremely tall man and very, very beautiful in person, and I was like, so... He's around and looks basically exactly the same, which again is is not the normal he looks experience. Good. He looks real good. Yes, very cute in this role. I was like, oh, you're very endearing, which is not the feeling I have watching Benedict Cumberbatch on Sherlock. <laughs> and I really liked the first two seasons of that. Like, I wrote fan fiction. I was into it, and then it just got very bad and just unpleasant. The whole thing. Oh, oh. I do wish they would do like a straight adaptation. Yeah, it's been yeah. Too that's long. the thing though, because it's like there, there really is only one. There is yeah. only one, which I've never seen. So at some point we'll have to yeah. do that, also, because I know you love it so much. What's your favorite adaptation? I mean, I feel like probably the first Downey movie, which I don't think is like a masterpiece, but I think it's better than the others that exist. Like the short stories are, because because I haven't seen yeah. the ones, which I think I probably would like the best. Um, like the originals are clearly superior to the ones that I have seen, which is fine. Like, it's, you know, there's some really good fan fiction, <laughs> which is, you know, a different yeah, just, thing. Just read, just read, um, like original Sherlock Holmes fanfic. Just read Katie Forsyth. Just a genius. Yeah. Highly that recommended what if you've I was not, thinking if you've not yes. read her work. That's where to, that is the, but also like, I'm such a snob about original Victorian Sherlock Holmes fanfic that I basically don't read anything else because it's like you can't do it you're not equipped for this quite arduous task whereas any fool can write Sherlock, yep. Sherlock TV fanfics it's just like in the present day and the emotional beats are much simpler unless you choose to complicate them for yourself yes but it's I mean it's funny thinking about like Sherlock the show now because when that that was it was like 2010 I think 10, which is so, oh my god, that is insane to think about how long ago that was now. But when that first premiered, it was this, like, crazy groundbreaking thing, right? Like, everyone was just like, oh my god, it's modern and contemporary. They've revolutionized this thing. Which, you know, okay. And now Stephen Moffat is doing a similar thing with Dracula, which literally makes me want to die. See, I'm not sure if it's even modern. I don't think they've really shared any information about it. Oh, I thought it was. I think it might be a classic well, one, which is like, which raises more interesting oh. questions. Because like Sherlock Holmes and Dracula, it's very easy to kind of draw comparisons between them because they've both been adapted more than basically anything else. And also the bulk of those adaptations are actually not that close to the source material. Um, but I sort yeah. of feel like as... A tremendous Dracula aficionado myself. I'm sure we can we can link to the Dracula episode um, in the notes. Um, but that is another one where I would really like to see partly a very direct adaptation from the book because there's actually not 
a tremendously high number of those, but also it has to combine that with a real kind of understanding of the underlying politics, you know, and the kind of the gender stuff and the race stuff. And there's literally no way that Stephen Moffat is equipped to do that because he's just someone who's horny for Victoriana, which is not the same. Right. And I feel like, I mean, yes to all of that, but I feel like both the Downey films and then the Sherlock show which I like to varying degrees. Like I think some of those early Sherlock episodes are really, yeah, really so good. Yeah, so the first and two seasons, completely went they had the two episodes in each of the two seasons that were good. And then one episode in each season that was like heinously bad. In one case, very offensive. Yes. But it seems to me that those sort of combined had the effect of setting off this trend now of these like pop adaptations of classic material of that type. So like your King Arthur's and etc etc and no one is interested so i don't understand well, they're all, why this keeps they're happening because the guy Ritchie thing is very easy to psychoanalyze because he has an extremely specific type of story he likes to tell which is butch working class white men from england boxing and it's a very strange kind of fetishization situation because guy Ritchie is in real life astoundingly posh um, and he very much is trying to occupy a space which is not his own. And I've not seen his early gangster movies, which are meant to be very good. But in terms of the kind of pop culture stuff he's contributed recently, fuck off, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> and I agree. Like the thing, the thing about all of these, um, the post Sherlock um, slash post Guy Ritchie adaptations is that they're really lacking in emotional sincerity. Like, Elementary actually is emotionally sincere in a way that takes inspiration from the home stories without really having that much similarity. Because, like I said, they are kind of more about this, like, emotional development, which is more in keeping with the way that we, like, interact with pop culture now. But when you look at something like King Arthur, which admittedly I did not watch, but was fucking panned by every critic I trust. And I did see the clip with the David Beckham cameo, which was painful to witness. But it's like, you've taken this story, which is intrinsically literally a romance. It's a kind of fantastical story that's full of all these sweeping emotions and kind of concepts of nation building and a love story and a love triangle. And you're just like, well, what if it was about this guy who just like does a lot of shirtless boxing and hangs around in London? It's like, no, none of these things. Which is why I feel like <laughs> even though it's kind of like the first Sherlock Holmes movie by Guy Ritchie is really fun. It's detached enough from Holmes. I can just be like, that's fine. But... It's also like if you want to do a direct Holmes adaptation now or a direct Dracula adaptation, it's like have some actual meaningful emotions. Otherwise, why are we here? All of these stories like start right. off being really tender emotional stories. And there was another Dracula adaptation that I feel like Jude Law may also have been in. Jude, Jude, Law, was in, Jude Law was in the King Arthur choices. movie as the villain. Yes, but I remember. The, the most recent like Dracula may... was the one they did as they were trying to kick off the Universal Monsters franchise with it, and it was like a Vlad Dracul action movie, which was not yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> so they did that. They did some horror... James McAvoy did that horrible Frankenstein movie a few years ago. Do you remember I remember, that? and I did not watch I think... that either. Uh, no. I haven't seen any of these things, so I really shouldn't be talking about them, but I'm going to anyway because I don't care. But you're totally right about the, like, sincerity level, right? And Which is funny, because actually, Sherlock, much though I despise it now, and, like, it started off having some moments of emotion, 
in it. Like the end of the second season where Sherlock dies definitely has. Well, yeah, and also the actors were both really, really good, it, right? And the thing is that, like, yes. after that kind of season two death situation, like, I mean, obviously we all know that's the turning point, but like, that was the turning point where it was like you could have done this in a way where there was an actual arc of character growth for both of these characters. But instead, they just made it really weird and distasteful and, like, too full of plot twists. And it was just like, look, this is just ruining itself. Just now. Right. And that, I think, is sort of in keeping with the general cultural trend. And obviously, these things are all disconnected from each other. It's not like these people have gotten into a room and been like, let's make everything bad. (laughs) But it is just very aggravating that there is all of this source material that is available to be mined and no one will do it appropriately which as i believe i have said before is a classic case of like they're just making these movies for teenage batman and they don't understand and in the near future we're gonna get a new wolverine and i realized that comparing wolverine to sherlock holmes is somewhat dicey however (laughs) there's like like this new kind of crowd of youngish action actors or wannabe action actors who are like I'd love to throw my head into the ring to believe the next Wolverine. It's like yeah so would you and every other fucking man in the world right? But it's like the real way they should be rebooting Wolverine is going to the comics where he's just like a nice dad and just doing a bunch of movies where he's not the protagonist but he's a dad Batman dad as well like just that is the way to make these things fresh. Be nice. Make them nice people. Well, right, and that gets back to, like, I bitch about this all the time, but, like, the Nolan Batman movies, when they happened, were a big deal because people, like, no one had done that before. And so everyone was like, oh, this is, like, interesting and new, and now no one can escape their reach because they were like, well, this is clearly the only thing that anyone could do ever again. It's like, no. Obviously, the DC films now are not the same as those, but they're clearly influenced by, like, everything must be dark. And you know whatever. I mean, one day Hollywood will listen, and they will let me write the James Bond film, which I desire, because I do (laughs) love James Bond. I have seen all of them a lot, and I want to do really. I want to do a 1950s spy Bond film that's really hacky. Bond is a terrible person, but everyone else has actual functioning emotions around him. And they're all like, what the fuck is this guy? As opposed to what we have now, which is just like Daniel Craig, <laughs> age 50, punching a wall for a paycheck. Did you see who's directing the yeah, new one? I'm intrigued. Danny Boyle. Who, about whom I have extremely mixed and not massively positive feelings. So we will see. He is weird, though. So yeah. it, it, it could be interesting. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, this all boils down to the fact that men run pop culture and men are bad. So <laughs> that's my diagnosis. Thank you, Lucy Liu, for your contribution in proving this particular subgenre. Honestly, yeah, she's so fantastic. And I kind of wish, even though I know that you all love elementary because you voted for it, sort of wish that she were doing more other roles because I would like to watch her in things. This show has been on for a very long time. But someday she will be free to do something else and we'll have millions and millions of dollars from her very long running network television show. They must all be oh, so yeah. rich. Right. I cannot imagine. Yeah. Which, you know, congratulations. Like this is this is the dream gig in a way. You just rake in cash and then you can do whatever the fuck you want. 
for the rest of your life, which is the real benefit of this versus a Sherlock-type situation. Thank you to everyone who participated in our poll. We apologize for forgetting to include the great mouse detective <laughs> in this poll, which someone pointed out after we had put up, we had egregiously omitted, which was an error. I watched that many, many times as a child and loved it so much. Someday, I am sure, we will return to this important piece of culture. But alas, not today. Uh, if you would like to participate in future polls or access other exciting content, you can subscribe to our Patreon for as little as $1 a month at www.patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. And otherwise, you can find us on various places on the internet, including overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.